This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 810, A Conversation with Pat Olive. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 810. It's our conversation with Pat Olive, but really it's our third conversation with Pat. Uh, if you want to go back to the archive, you can download episodes 278 from June 12th, 2015, as well as episode 450, uh, and that one would have been from February 11th, 2017. So it's hard to believe it's already been uh, almost... Well, three and a half years, uh, a little bit more than that, actually, since I had Pat on the show. Uh, he's such a wonderful guest. This time we spent a lot of time talking about Edgeworld, which is his new creator-owned property with Chuck Austin, uh, which is currently coming out from Comixology Originals. Um, it was a great conversation. We really went deep on the first issue and talked a lot about it, uh, the art, um, what is di- you know, what's different about working through Comixology, um, kind of uh, tailoring the reading experience to those who are going to be using it through the guided view system, uh, as opposed opposed to doing it for you know a regular comic book page uh, and what kind of de- design choices go into that. So it was a really interesting conversation on how uh, a different medium, or not a medium per se, but a different presentation style like digital comics using you know the proprietary guided view of Comixology, how that can change how an artist might lay out their pages. So I thought it was a really interesting interview. Uh, I really like talking to Pat. He's just a great guy. Uh, we have a good time. So I think that comes across in the interview. Uh, it's definitely a lot of fun. Um, and we uh, we talk briefly about Hawkman and some of the other things he's been working on as well. Um, but there's a lot here, a lot of discussion here about Edgeworld. Uh, issue one dropped, I believe, actually. Um, uh, it came out on the Tuesday, so it wasn't it wasn't the comic day. It was September fifteenth. It was uh, a Tuesday because uh, I got the notification that morning. And originally, I was supposed to talk with Pat that evening, and I was like, "Oh, this is perfect!" Like I originally, I was like, "Oh, we're gonna you know be chatting a day before it comes out." Or actually, no, I'm wrong. We we're gonna talk originally on the Wednesday, and I was thinking, "Well, it's the day it comes out." And then out of nowhere, Tuesday, I get this email from Comicsology being like, "Oh, your subscription you know has been activated, and here's your first issue." I'm like, "Oh, this is great!" Um, so I, I do recommend you check out the book. I think it's three dollars. Um, but uh, it feels well worth it and it's a great read um, just a little bit of housekeeping before we jump into the interview you can always email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com you can rate the show on iTunes subscribe to us on iTunes and also listen to us on Stitcher if you do leave a review uh, please let me know and I, which country you're from and I will make sure to read it on the air also I, I believe you can listen to us on Amazon Music now although I haven't I got an email saying that we're on there but I haven't actually figured out how to find podcasts on Amazon Music so maybe I'm just need some maybe I'm getting old <laughs> I'm 36 but I feel 85 um my family makes fun of me because um I'm uh when I was a, a kid my my grandmother used to have this uh uh four uh, I guess VHS set of uh, the best of Johnny Carson and I loved it and I was you know watching this probably in like 97 or something like that so you know at the time I, he was off the air already for a few years I was like 13 years old 14 years old way too young to be watching Johnny Carson and loving Johnny Carson I should have been watching something else and you know cooler like you know um well, not necessarily even Letterman, but like, you know, Conan O'Brien or something like that. But I was loved Carson. So my mom called me out long ago and she said, oh, you know, on 
they have a bunch of full episodes of Carson that are all on Amazon, uh, Amazon Prime or Prime Video, whatever you want to call it. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. So, and my wife's like, you wonder why you're an old man? Like, you want to sit down and watch old vintage episodes of Carson and listen to the monologue jokes from 1973. And at the same time, you want to go watch some cheers from the 80s. Um, who are you? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know, but you married me. Um, I don't know what the point of this diatribe was uh, in terms of how old I am. But uh, anyway, uh, there was a point there and I, I completely lost it. And so I just went on a, a tangent for no reason. Um, anyways, um, please do, you know, oh, Amazon Music, finding things. I think that's where this started. I'm not sure. Um, in terms of upcoming episodes, I'm really excited. We've got Chris Claremont coming back to the show to talk about his fantastic foreruns, which I think is something that has not often been talked about. Cause I mean, I think people usually talk to Claremont and they want to talk about X-Men or new mutants or anything mutant related. So I think, uh, I'm hoping we get a good conversation and to talk about the fantastic four. I'm really excited to talk with Michael Lark. He's going to be on the show soon. So I'm really pumped about that. Um, we're also going to have Chuck Austin on the show soon to talk about edge world, uh, as he's the one who wrote it and conceived of it with, uh, Pat Olive. He should be on, I'm trying to think that episode will be coming out maybe October the 9th. I'm not quite sure yet on timing. Uh, it could come out on the 2nd. We'll see in terms of uh, when it needs to come out. Um, but that's just you know a short list of the next three or four episodes. Uh, we also have Eric and Julia Leewald. They're supposed to come back to talk about the new uh, X-Men art book. So I'm really pumped about that. Anyways, uh, let's get, before I uh, spend the rest of uh, you know the next 10, 20 minutes talking about just the show and upcoming things. I will turn it over to myself interviewing Pat Olive. Again, you should check out Edge World number one, which just recently came out on Comixology Originals. It will originally eventually have a trade paperback release, but that's not, as far as I know, I don't know if it's planned in terms of the timing yet, but that will come at some point. But for now, it's a Comixology original and it's well worth the money. And I, you know, I, I really enjoyed the read and I'm excited to see where it goes. And uh, I really enjoyed this chat with Pat. So without further ado, I'm going to throw it to myself talking with Pat Olive about his, uh, his, his current creator-owned book, Edgeworld, and much more. Enjoy. Pat, welcome back to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing very well, Adam. Thank you for having me back on. Yeah, you know, I couldn't believe it's been three and a half years since I've had you on the show. That was episode 450. I think we're recording episode 810 now. So it's been wow, a, so that's it's, great. So it's that's been a, it's been a long time. Um, yes. So I want to talk about obviously with all the stuff that's happened in the in the intervening time. But really, what's most sure. exciting is that you have a, a brand new project that literally just dropped this week. Um, yes. And uh, once you take it away, tell us a bit about this new project. Sure. It's called uh, Edge World. It's coming out through Comixology, Comixology Unlimited. Our uh, first issue just dropped, uh, I guess it was yesterday. It's been a, kind of a blur these days. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it was just uh, yesterday, Tuesday, maybe a couple days ago now. Uh, <laughs> it's COVID era. Yeah, it's, it's all one day. Yeah, it's, it's all very happening very quickly because it's one of those projects. It's a science fiction uh, western. Uh, it's in the science fiction western genre. Um, you know, it's about... Uh, uh, this this world called Pela that uh, is kind of like the edge of the universe, edge of the known universe, kind of a thing. And um, but what makes it important is there is a rift gate that is uh, in its orbit, in, in its gravitational orbit, and that allows people to travel from destination to destination. So it's really kind of a way station, uh, and it's about this world that a lot of people covet and uh, 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 a gentleman named Killian Jess who is the uh, quote-unquote sheriff of this town um, he you know he has to deal with not only the, the native people but also 
the, uh, uh, the essentially the military occupation that has happened in that in that world, trying to take advantage of the uh, approximation to the Rift Gate, um, and all the adventures and adventures that happen within this kind of a world. Someone, uh, Chuck Austin, who's the my writing the, my partner, is the writer on the project, described uh, some of this as, as almost like in Star Wars and uh, um, and on most Eisley, where that's like kind of the, the den of villainy kind of thing where just people just are passing through what is that world like well that's pala in a lot of in a lot of respects and so it's about killian it's about uh, uh the, the the inhabitants of this town um he was former he was part of the military that was part of the occupation there was a war um and now it's his job to protect these people and, and to manage the town as people coming in and out and, it's, and all the adventures and craziness that happen as part of that um so it was a story that uh, Chuck and I kind of uh, knocked around and came up with probably two years ago. Um, um, Chuck and I have been looking for a project to work on together for a very long time. He and I worked on a project called The Call at Marvel. Oh, my God, uh, yes. Probably, yeah, probably 20, what is that, 25 years ago or something. Uh, but we've stayed in touch, and he was in comics, obviously, as a writer for quite a while, and then moved on to animation. Uh, he's at DreamWorks. He's a producer over on She-Ra, and um, um, has created a career for himself in animation. But he, he and I have kept in touch and hope to work together again in comics and have pitched ideas and come up with different things, and not always very successfully. Not everybody <laughs> was interested. Um, and it was a couple of years ago that I reached out to him again and and it was looking for uh, something to do as far as uh, a creator-owned project. It's something that's not been something that I've I really uh, entertained into, into this point. I've mostly been, my career has been working for Marvel and DC primarily, Dark Horse Comics. I also worked at Disney Publishing briefly. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's but this, the creator-owned idea has, was stuck in my brain, and I contacted uh, Chuck and... Uh, we pitched a couple ideas. People said no. And check out this idea about this Western idea, this science, science fiction Western idea. And we started kicking ideas back and forth, and this thing developed over the course of the last couple of years. So Chuck would write scripts, and I would design characters, and we didn't really have a home for this, but we were just doing it because we enjoyed doing it. Um, and finally it got to the point where we said, you know, we really should <laughs> we really should try to find a way to get this out there and, and uh, uh, take the next step with it. So Chuck was uh, uh, familiar with and, and had known Chip Moser over at uh, Comixology and uh, contacted them about maybe distributing it. And turns out they liked the idea and they were interested. So, uh, you know, we had a partnership with them and, and uh, they were agreed to put this thing out. So uh, uh, we've got the first five issues just about complete and we're hoping for more after that. Um, but it's nice to, after two plus years. <laughs> Uh, these ideas going back and forth between us to actually have it uh, alive in a certain, you know, to whatever extent that means in, in publishing and have it out there for people to read. And, and uh, the response has been great. I've been, we've been really happy with it. So, mm-hmm. so I have a few questions. So, I mean, obviously, sure. you have to be part of, uh, you know, the relatively exclusive club of Comixology Originals. Um, you know, they're obviously yes. kind of getting into creating their own content uh, that's proprietary to them. And uh, that's obviously exciting that you kind of get to be, you know, one of the early adopters in terms of being, you know, on their platform. So, that's exciting. Right. What is yes. it like kind of working with? 
them and kind of knowing that they're, you know, obviously they're the forefront of kind of digital comics. And so that they're kind of the ones, you know, pushing this forward. You're, you know, on every masthead at Comixology right now. It's kind of promoting yes. you're the big new release through the Comixology Originals. What has that been like? Uh, it's been great. I mean, I think that it was our first goal was to find a home for this project is that um and then when comicsology looked like they were interested the idea of having it as a digital comic uh now of course comicsology just signed a deal with dark horse so there will be a trade paperback uh that will come out uh um of, of this at some point okay uh, but the main um vehicle for this will be a digital format and comicsology has their guided view uh, format, which is how we basically design the pages. Um, uh, once Comixology was interested, we could see the value of something new, so trying something new. Both Chuck and I have been around a long time, um, and to find ourselves in a situation where we could be at the forefront of some different kind of vehicle for comic book storytelling was very exciting. Mm. And um, so, uh, you know, with Comixology's platform and their guided view technology, uh, we specifically designed. I we specifically designed the pages to um, marry up with that guided view, so that each panel would kind of come up on its own, and they would follow one after the other. And we really kind of aimed our storytelling to fit that model. Um, so it was really exciting to to. Uh, to be part of that and part of something new, and now that it's out, I've gotten, it, I've had a chance to see it as as an online digital comic, and to see it as in the guided view, and all the ch storytelling choices that we made, um, I think have really paid off. I mean, I think the way that it's viewed digitally uh, has worked just incredibly well. I think just the pacing of it has worked well, um, and I think that that's the advantage that we had going into this knowing that this is how it's going to be viewed, allowing us to uh, lay out pages and panels and uh, dictate storytelling points to fit that model makes it, um, uh, makes it more successful because we knew what we were doing. We knew what we were aiming for as opposed to let's do it in like a traditional comic book and then try to make it a digital comic book. Mm -hmm. uh, so we knew going in this is how it was going to be viewed. This is how we should lay it out. Obviously, it will be coming out as a trade at some point. But um, to be able to know that at the beginning, knowing how it was going to be viewed, has turned out to be hugely advantageous, I think. And I think it's worked really well. Oh, for sure. I mean, in the first issue, when you have, you know, near the end of the issue, when you have the protagonist in, in the storm, and you have... <laughs> right. That, that, that's, a, that's a really good use of how that works, because, right. you know... it. Not that it takes away something when you just look at the full page. It still works, obviously. Sure. But the pacing, sure. as you said, is so so much more tight and controlled because of what you're showing us. And it's more kind of a slow burn. And then you see what's really right. happening. And I think that's exactly right. I mean, you, you hit it right on the head. I mean, that was uh, like that final quote-unquote page, that final scene in the issue, which, is a, uh, which we're super happy with, will work as a comic book page. But it actually works better in guided view digitally because of the way the final scene is paced out the panel after panel and then the reveal at the end which i'm not going to mention <laughs> uh but it's a great cliffhanger it's a great ending it's a great kind of gut punch kind of ending that i think really like i said will work as a trade as a traditional comic book page but i think actually works better 
in the guided view digitally because of the way the panels are then presented to the reader one at a time and then kind of like you said that slow burn kind of thing mm-hmm. until you get to the to the conclusion like even at the uh, beginning of the issue when you have you know a sequence with kind of our protagonist when he's younger and then you're segueing into the yep. older and again the, the right. fade out it works so well in guided view because it feels so much yep. more natural like it's almost like you're watching a yep. tv show and it's just kind of fading yep. out yeah and i think that's exactly right and i think and it goes back to what i was yeah, what I had mentioned before, I think because we knew how uh, this was going to be viewed, we could take advantage of those kinds of storytelling opportunities. So I think it works well. I think it's, uh, uh, you know, those kinds of scenes play out even better as a guided view. Mm-hmm. So, question about the artistic style. So, I mean, in the last couple of years, you've gone from you know something like Rough Riders, which is obviously very researched material, uh, very design heavy, in kind of using what people were wearing at the time. Then you go back to, to kind of traditional superheroics and otherworldly adventures with Hawkman, and now you have this, where you can kind of go anywhere you want with design aesthetic in terms of the clothing and how everything looks. Right. How, how excited was that? Exciting or daunting? Now that you didn't have to use the you know, kind of mountains of reference material you had to use previously. <laughs> No, it was it was great. I still had mountains of reference material, but it was purely driven by what I was trying to picture this world to look like. So you wanted a, you know, the science fiction western genre is certainly not unique to us. It's been around for a long time, um, and people have both in comics and in, in uh, on TV movies have done it very well. Um, but getting a chance to develop our own version of that was really exciting, and. Um, uh, so, as uh, like I said, as we were developing this thing over the last couple of years, um, we would have conversations about this, about the characters and about the placement. And uh, um, and as I was working on other projects, I would find um, an image or something that would spark my interest in terms of how I thought that would would be used in Edge World. And I would you know print it out. I had you know <laughs> all around my drawing table. I have all these printouts of old western towns and science fiction <laughs> things and all and even um old locomotives uh steam trains i like some of the uh the lines of those of those machines and uh and just trying to put them all around so i can kind of let it like sit in my brain for a while and kind of roll around in there to come out uh with something that um is really ours i mean it's really something that um people will obviously recognize um, uh, the visuals that are, um, um, you know, that are connected to the idea of a science fiction story or a science fiction or Western or a science fiction Western. Uh, but I think that we have created something that is unique to us. Um, and I think that was really exciting. Um, yes, I've spent most of my career working on characters that are owned by companies owned by, uh, someone other than myself. So, um, even Rough Riders was a great project to be a part of, but I was not part of the creation of that series. Mm-hmm. I was brought in later um, as the artist on the book, and I, I appreciated all the input that they allowed me to have. It was great. Adam was great to work with. Everybody was great. Uh, but this is different. This was I was able to start from the ground up between Chuck and I and build forward. Uh, so it was really very exciting. And like I said, the... Uh, the mountain of reference was just instead of what instead of being um, you know back issues of Hawkman, it was <laughs> you know all the things that I thought would be important to tell the, to build this world of, of Edge World. 
Okay. I have a question. Now we, we've we've joked in the past that you know your version of Peter Parker in the future in MC in the MC two universe <laughs> ended up becoming what you look like when you grew up. Um, Correct. Is your COVID beard a, a lot like Killian's beard? <laughs> well, it's not as big, and it's certainly a lot whiter. So, <laughs> no, it's uh, you know I I would uh, uh, I would love to have the beard and hair that Killian has. It's very dark and thick, and mine is white and uh, receding. <laughs> at, an, at an alarming rate. So. A, a question about the first issue. I'm curious, who came? Was it you or Chuck who came up with the gag uh, where you have a very serious, tense moment, and then uh, you know Killian's not wearing pants? Right. That, that is purely Chuck because that <laughs> is, and that was one of the things that I love uh, about working on his scripts is that, um, and I remember this from even the call, which was kind of a very dark kind of story. But there were moments of humor in it, and I think that was uh, something that I really enjoyed about working with him. That he could do these kind of scenes that were very uh, dark uh, or violent, uh, but also he would it wouldn't become oppressive. Uh, there would be then, then these moments of humor that would lighten it up. This kind of back and forth and up and down that uh, that allowed the reader to. Uh, you know, feel the kind of more, um, uh, you know, maybe a darker, violent scene, but then get some relief with a with a humorous scene. Uh, that is a hallmark Chuck Austin scene. Um, so that is, that is that is, I will give him all the credit in the world for that. That's him all the way, and and, and that persists through the series. And I mean, and there was the scene in the uh, in the first issue where. Uh, Killian and Harley are speaking to this alien, the uh, an alien woman who's looking for her husband, and uh, you know, and I won't give the gag yeah. away, but there's yeah. a moment where Killian reaches over and puts his hand over Harley's mouth because he's about to say something inappropriate. So <laughs> those kinds of things are just that's pure Chuck Austin. So which is what makes him so good at what he does. What it, I mean, how. How is it, how is it for you as an artist to have to convey the act? I mean, the acting obviously is so important in a scene like that to really make it work. Is that you have the right. good facial expressions on Killian's faces, like you you know, even if it didn't have the the dialogue, you actually know what he's saying. Like you know that expression. Right. We've all been that person being like, oh no no no. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, I think that that's one of the things that I enjoy most about. Um, uh, now, working with Chuck is great because he's also an artist, so he understands the visual side of comic book storytelling, um, which doesn't always happen with writers, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but his scripts are very visual, and uh, it makes it easier for for me to understand uh, what he's looking for, what the gags are, what the end result is, what the motivations are. Um, but one of the things I enjoy the most uh, is the acting of the characters. And uh, and that really and that's really true for any project that I've done over the course of my career. That's one of the things I enjoy most about comic book storytelling is is you really have to act the characters. Uh, I've had the great advantage of, of on occasion speaking to an illustration class at a local college here in in, uh, in the Pittsburgh area, uh, and that's what I tell the students there too is that uh, they can get kind of lost in the idea of uh, you know how do I draw this car or how do I draw this figure and. Mm-hmm. And that's all extremely important, picking the scenes, camera angles, and that kind of thing. But when you draw that character, you have to act that character. You have to know what that character feels, and that has to play out in his body movements and on his face. Uh, and those are, th- those are the things that I really enjoy the most. And in that scene that we were just talking about, uh, the alien woman who's looking for her husband, um, 
I got to play around with that with her a little bit that was not in the script where um, you know she's nervous she's worried about her husband so in the scenes that I have with with her and Killian uh, I specifically have her looking off panel to be looking that kind of far away concern about her husband her hands are up her, her hands are ringing and uh, as she as she's nervous and I think those kinds of things are what I are, are really what I enjoy the most uh, in getting to uh, to work in comics. And Chuck's scripts allow me to play with that kind of stuff. That kind of acting is always just a lot of fun. One thing I find so interesting about uh, the the panel where you have the pants moment, um, <laughs> right, <laughs> is, is how your eyes capture what you put on the page and really emulates what you would have if you were kind of watching a movie. Because it's interesting because right. obviously your eye goes towards the dialogue box. You see who says it. Then you sure. go to his face, which is priceless, and then you do <laughs> slowly fade backwards and see how everyone's laughing. And it's so right, right. interesting how you lay it out because your eye does kind of capture the movement and then goes backwards. And that's exactly how it would be if you're watching like a movie or something that they would lay it out kind right. of the same idea. But it's interesting how well your storytelling is able to get that across. Thank you. Well, thank you. And I think that's – and that is um, – and that's something that's learned over time. I mean and that is something that um, – uh, not only is that one of the things I enjoy the most, like I said, the, one of the things I enjoy the most about working in comics, but it's also something that you learn over time. Um, would I have been able to draw that particular scene uh, having the effect that you just described? Would I be able to do that as well as I did in this particular uh, time, in this particular story? Would I have been able to do that 30 years ago? Probably not. Uh, but over time, spending all spending the last 35 years telling visual stories you learn these kinds of things and um, it becomes kind of second nature about how to lay out that panel so you get that you get the idea that uh, the eye is supposed to go in one spot first and then kind of trail off into this into another spot second so that uh, i'm glad you had that reaction that's exactly what i was i was looking for uh and uh, uh, so it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun to play with. Mm-hmm. Um, when, at what point in the process is, did you guys bring Lee on as the colorist? So we had all we we kind of already got this. Like I said, it was kind of this kind of herky jerky kind of two year <laughs> project where we don't really know what to do, and uh, we'll start pitching it around, and then Comicsology was interested, and they brought on uh, and they hooked us up with Biz Stringer Horn, who was our editor on the project, who has really been invaluable. Her input, she's a big science fiction fan. Her input on scripts and storytelling uh, and, and the stories has been great. It, it allows us because it's, it's one of those things where, when two guys just kind of knock ideas around on their own for a long time, it becomes a little bit too insulated, and you kind of need that outside input for someone else to say, "Yeah, this is great," and or maybe, "No, you guys have spent way too much time thinking about this." <laughs> so you know, so she's been great, kind of steering that a little bit. Um, so. Uh, once we kind of had that involved, had the project uh, 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 at Comixology, we have Biz involved. Then there was a brief period where I considered coloring it myself. I got rid of that fairly quickly because that's <laughs> insane, and uh, I'm not nearly good enough to pull that off. Um, so actually, Lee was a suggestion of Chip over at Comixology. He'd been doing some work for them in the past. Um, we had tried out some, some other folks that uh, didn't quite work, but that's fine. They're all very talented, but it wasn't quite what we were looking for. Uh, and then um, I think we had Jody, our letterer, on first, who designed 
the logo and the, that the intro pages. Uh, and then we brought Lee in a little bit later, uh, and he just did a great job. I mean, he just really kind of understood what we were doing, uh, understood the kind of the nature of this kind of more kind of where you would have scenes and exteriors that were more kind of desaturated and washed out and that kind of thing. But you could also then get an interior shot of uh, like the moonlight, which would be a little bit more fuller in color. And um, uh, so he just, and he has this, Lee does this thing. I still don't understand how he does it, but he has this technique where if you look closely at some of the colors, they almost have a watercolor look to them. Hmm. And I don't know how he does that, but it looked, it's perfect for for what we needed. So, uh, yeah, when the colors started coming in, uh, we said, this is the guy that we, uh, this is our guy. So, uh, so yeah, it's been great. I did like the, the, the warmer colors on the kind of the, the flashback era. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was all him. I mean, that was him deciding, you know, uh, how to differentiate between flashback and, and present and, uh, you know, quote unquote present, because we also have a present present with, the, <laughs> with our opening scene. Uh, but the, uh, um, there was one scene in the doctor's office where we've established that Harley likes the, 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 the essentially Killian's deputy. Um, he likes to basically eat food that is laying around. He just that's kind of what he does. He likes to do that. Uh, there was a scene in the, in the doctor's office that Killian is talking to the doctor. Harley's off is kind of standing up to the side, and on the on the doctor's desk in the background, there was a little sandwich that she had left. Uh, before she started her autopsy, and and uh, and, the, and, and the script and the gag was that as Killian and the doctor were talking, Harley's got his eye on that sandwich. Now <laughs> I didn't say anything about this, but Lee picked it up in the script to give that sandwich a little highlight. So he understood the gag, he understood the bit, <laughs> and he was able to kind of like just play that up just a little bit. You can see the sandwich, so it did. The sandwich didn't get lost in the background. Um, so Lee not only does a, does a great job with his color choices and capturing what we wanted to capture for the overall look of the book, but he's aware enough from the storytelling standpoint where he'll pick up little bits like that. So it, it's been great. <laughs> um, with Now, it felt like, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I mean, obviously you guys have been working on this project for a long time. It felt like it quickly got announced and like I, I feel like I saw it on your Facebook and it was like, boom, it's coming out in a week. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> So that was right. So that was, and it, uh, this was the idea that Comicsology had. I don't. The idea of a digital comic is new to me in terms of how it's promoted and how it reaches an audience. And um, you know, I'm used to working in you know the standard comic book publishing industry where you would have you know, have to get the catalog and you get this you know uh, uh, you know so you get a lot of you know time to promote the book early. Um, well. There isn't a catalog necessarily. You just, you know, they promote it and then bang, then it's downloaded there. And I think that what they were trying to do is they were following the model of a lot of, uh, you know, like TV shows and that kind of thing where you just, you don't want to announce something so early that people forget about it. Hmm. Um, so it's kind of like a quick, in this day and age where people have a short attention span and there's a ton of different entertainment things fighting for people's dollars and interest that to uh, have it all very concentrated and quick uh, allows people to say, hey, this looks interesting, and oh yeah, I can buy it right now. And I think it's that kind of uh, combination is, is kind of what they were going for. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, during the pandemic, the kind of the early days of the pandemic, 
I guess, were you guys still kind of working on the project and kind of putting together, like, yep. what, was, did the release schedule on your end get moved or changed at all during the pandemic, or what did that look like? Well, the, the pandemic, because we were digital, mm-hmm. it didn't really impact our release date necessarily. Um, how it came out, the time it came out, tended to be more of an internal distru- discussion about not only did, you know, um, um, I needed to have we need to have enough material finished first hmm. before the first issue came out because this will be essentially you know we we're following even though we're a digital comic we're following the standard monthly comic book drop that you know people have been used to for decades uh, but I needed to have enough material finished so that when the first issue comes out there's going to be a second issue that comes out a month later and a third issue and a fourth issue and because I'm inking, I'm penciling and inking it myself. It takes a little longer to produce the stories, mm-hmm. so it's one of those things where it became a a, a, a a production concern about how many of these things that we need to have done before the first issue comes out. So that was part of the discussion about when it would come out. You know, Comicsology had their own internal discussions about uh, what would be a good time of the year. What else was coming out from Comicsology at the time? Um, you know they were you know they didn't want too much science fiction in one month and, and so they had their own internal discussions about what would be best so it was a combination of what they thought would be the best idea what they thought would be the best time and also uh, it gave me enough time to get ahead enough um, so that there were not the last thing we wanted to do is have the first couple issues come out on their regular monthly schedule and then have people interested and then have to wait two three months for the third issue we just couldn't you just cannot do that, uh, especially when you're coming out with a new product and a new world that we want people to jump on board with. Mm-hmm. So uh, I needed to get a far enough ahead uh, so that once this comes out, it comes out regularly. It's interesting. I mean, I guess you know, comics culture really is, you know, it's it is the Netflix of comics. And, you know, every <laughs> publisher kind of has obviously a line into there and gets all their content there. But, you know, yep. you have the benefit of, you know, not only is the person that the people making your comic are the ones who have the platform. So when new issues come out, at least they're going to promote it because it's right. their stuff. Um, so it's right. kind of uniquely right. situated in that respect. Right. And I think that was all part of what played into Chuck and I just being really excited about this opportunity is that, um, uh, for everything you just said, it's very cohesive. I mean, they are, uh, uh, I guess that's a great way to put it, the Netflix of comics. And I think that's 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 kind of one of the things, like I said, that drew us to the project and drew us to Comicsology was that uh, not only were they interested in putting us out, but also that kind of cohesive, it is their product, they do put it out, they do promote it. Um, uh, they have Amazon behind them to also promote it. Um, so it, it gave us a lot of, it gave us a lot of opportunities that we were really looking forward to. Now it's interesting. So obviously, you said you're doing pencils and inks, and I guess you did pencils and inks on Rough Riders as well, right? I did. I so, did. Right. In, and in the middle, you had you know Hawkman with Tom Palmer. What was it like right. to kind of go back to inking your own stuff after having you know a year or so where you weren't? Sure, it was. Uh, well, it's been great. I mean, I've been very fortunate to ink, uh, to work with a lot of great inkers over the course of my career. Uh, I mean, Tom was my inker on. Uh, I was on Scooby Apocalypse for a year, mm-hmm. uh, and then Hawkman. And so I was very fortunate to work with Tom. Uh, on those projects uh, but there is something that uh, when you ink your own work it, the finished product for better or for worse is more uh, in line with how you envisioned it to begin with hmm. so um, uh, 
uh, like I said, I've been very fortunate with the inkers that I've worked with, but there is something different when I ink it myself. I can It becomes more my own vision about how I wanted it to be seen. And there are things you can do in the ink stage that you can't do in a pencil stage. Hmm. Uh, you know, in the pencil stage, it's more about you can do structure and lighting and that kind of thing, but you can't take a fully loaded ink brush and just kind of start cutting in shadows and that kind of, there's just, it's just a different animal. So, um, you know, inking is not just tracing over the pencils. It adds so much to the weight of the page and the mood of the page that, uh, getting a chance to do that on my own work, uh, has been really gratifying. And I mean, I certainly, uh, I, I've enjoyed it and I'm hoping to continue doing it. Is there, and I, you mentioned earlier, like, you know, you, you kind of tooled around with the idea of coloring your own work at the beginning. Have you ever, have, I, I'm sort of asked a dumb question, like have you, in prof- professional work, have you ever done the colors on it or has it just been commissions or? So I, the only, I, the only professional, quote unquote professional, the professional work that I've done has not been on like a regular series or anything. I've done, um, I did a, you know, a, a, a color uh, pencil inks and colors on a cover for an aftershock book called Dark Arc. I did a, yeah. a, a pinup, you know, the way that uh, for John Arcudi's book. Um, I, you know, I did. Uh, 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 I mean, uh, the Rumble. So, I mean, it, I've had a couple pinup kind of things, but I've never actually. And that was the thing that caught me. That that got me in trouble was that I've had a couple of these little moments where I get to color my own work. It's really fun. Um, but a pin up here and a color that, and a cover there is certainly a different animal than uh, 22 pages of a comic book that you have to turn around a certain amount of time. And so I, I thought about it. I said, well, you know, I, I maybe I could try it. And then very quickly I realized, you're crazy. You can't do this. And uh, we need a real professional to, to, uh, to do this. You know what I you, you kind of alluded to this earlier, but you know obviously Chuck thinks more visually than your typical writer, um, just because he's you know he's worked in animation, he's worked in art, in comic book art, so he knows what he's talking about. Right, right. Um, so how what was like what is the marked difference of a Chuck Austin script as opposed to your typical comic book script because of obviously him you know having a different background? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with just how he. So the, the characters, the character interaction, the dialogue, those kinds of things, how the story structure works, how the characters interact and develop. Um, you know, good writers, uh, all the good writers I've worked with, all, they all do that. But there is, in the panel descriptions and how the pages are laid out and, and the pacing of the visuals um, are different for somebody who has an artistic background. So he understands... Um, and the nice thing is, too, and it goes back to what you mentioned earlier, was the uh, the, the idea of a sight gag. I mean, he understands uh, there are times when the visuals will carry a scene, and a dialogue is there to help the visuals as opposed to drive the scene on its own. Mm-hmm. So um, his ability to have a visual sense that as being an artist uh, goes a long way in, in, in making those scenes work. Uh, because he understands the power of the of, of the visuals to carry a scene, and sometimes on its own, if need be. Hmm. Okay, that's a good answer. Um, this is a, a very random question, but um, sure. on your your page at Catskill Comics, they have a lot of the commissions you've done over the years. Um, yes. One of my favorites I've ever seen because it just made me laugh, and I'm curious about what was the, what was the request like, and then how did you end up kind of coming up with it? Is uh, Captain America barbecuing? I- I knew you were going to mention that. I knew you were going to mention that. 
that is the one I do get comments about that I it was one of those things where I have no idea why this was something somebody wanted I remember Scott mentioning it say hey this is what he wants and I thought that's okay if that's what he wants I mean it's I'm okay with doing it I don't really know why uh, it was something that he was in this person was interested in I was happy to do it but it does remain when you go through my uh, list of commissions of Catskills comics or Catskills comics it, it does jump out most everything else is a fairly straightforward superhero pose of some kind and then there's a shot of Captain America grilling a hot dog at a bar on, on, a, on, a, on a grill I mean that's I don't know why but that was that was it so yes that gets that gets mentioned yeah, it's quite it's a bit. yeah it's just it's just priceless it's one of those things where like oh, yeah. I, I always think about like for you and Ron uh, friends I always think about yep. like I want to get commissions at one time and I'm so stressed out about it because I see so many commissions <laughs> you guys have done that have been so fantastic right. and I'm like I don't even know what to choose like and Ron especially because he's constantly putting right. his commissions on his Facebook page and I'm like he is. oh my god like first of all i have enough stress trying to pick out the right image and i want it to be something <laughs> the artist would enjoy and that i'd really like and then i also have the added pressure of knowing he's gonna put it up on his facebook page this <laughs> right, is right. this is this is a lot of pressure <laughs> well there you go well ron is a true professional and you would not have to worry about you would be more than happy with anything that you would get from uh, from uh, that's for sure <laughs> what um i mean is that the one with captain america grilling is that one of the more yes. unique paid uh commissions you've had to it, do or it, it is I mean, it would be probably the most unique i mean i've done other ones um um but they all tended to be generally in the superhero superheroic pose genre mm-hmm. um but that one is the is the most unique to be to be sure I, I would love to know. I, I'm sure that guy has other people with other other characters grilling other things. I am sure. I'm sure that he has a wall in his basement of a line of commissions <laughs> of you know of, of characters. Yeah, grilling different things. I mean, I think that's I'm, that's got to be it. And if I've ever found out that he did not have that, I think I'd be disappointed. Right. I think that's. A, I think that's a, like that. No, that's what you do. You just you you've hit on something and you just go you just do it batman grilling a hamburger i mean you just <laughs> go with it so uh yes I, i'm hoping that's the case did uh was the request specific on it being a hot dog instead of a burger you know what i don't remember <laughs> i know i think it was I, actually i think it was specific i think it was i think it was a hot dog so that makes me think that he has more i think so too and that and that makes me feel good so i'm gonna go with that <laughs> um, I do want to ask uh, before we run out of time. Um, what was it like to be working on the Hawkman book? I mean, it was such a. I love that current run of Hawkman um, yeah. and such amazing artists. I mean, you're obviously one of them who've been working on that book, and sadly, I think it's ending soon. But what was it like to work so. with uh, Vin, Venditti and um, and being able to be involved with this character? Well, I mean, it was it was great, and, I, and it's one of those things where. Uh you know, Hawkman is a classic DC character. So I had the same reaction years ago when I was connected to the the 52 uh, books that were, were at DC. I got a chance to do a miniseries, uh, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and it was Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. I mean, so I got to draw the three big characters at DC Comics in this miniseries, and that was just tremendous. Uh, and it's the same kind of thing. I, I was... Uh, 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 I had a short run on The Atom with Rick Remender. Um, and, and The Atom, of course, being another character, a classic DC character. And Hawkman is in the same vein. I mean, Hawkman, a classic DC character. So to get a chance to draw this character was a lot of fun. And, of course, Robert uh, 
just did a fantastic job. He, he understands that character, he understands the myth of the character. He's created, you know, an amazing story. And then the the most daunting part of it was when, because uh, I was drawing Scooby Apocalypse at the time, and the editors uh, involved in that uh, said, you know, we're we're looking for another or, or a new artist on Hawkman. Are you interested? And I said, oh my god, that'd be great. And then, you know, and then it hit me after I said yes. Well, wait a minute. I'm I'm taking over after Brian Hitch. That's <laughs> what. I mean, could you find somebody else for I? You know, so it was extremely intimidating. I mean, the guys. So he is. I am enormously, enormously uh, uh, impressed, and, and uh, I'm a huge fan of Brian's work. So that was that was a little uh, um, um, scary. So, uh, but it was great. It was great to work on. Uh, you know, we got a chance to draw you know, like some villains, some classic. Uh, Hawkman villains like Gentleman Ghost, and uh, uh, so it was great fun. It, I mean, and, and like I said, Robert did a great job. It was, and it was great to be able to work on, you know, another you know classic DC character. It was great for sure. I, that run has been, I mean, so enjoyable because of how Robert's really, you know, kind of peeling peeling back the onion and doing new things and fun things that don't invalidate other things, and that's as vague as I can right. get, I guess. And uh, but yeah, it's been just an enormously fun book, and yeah, your issues on it were fantastic. Yep. Well, thanks, thanks. Yeah, I, I think Robert was just—he's just the perfect writer for that project. I mean, he just, um, yeah. I mean, he just understands the character, and uh, yeah, so he was perfect. Yeah, it, def- it felt like it wasn't just a job. Like it felt like he loved yep. it and he was living it. Totally, and- yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. So yep. I, I want to go back for a second. I'm just curious when Rough Riders came to its end. Um, yep. The last series was it originally supposed to be longer, or did it get kind of truncated? Or I've just always been curious because the first two, no, it, the first right. two were obviously longer, and then the last one was a little right. shorter. Well, I think part of it was as we came to the end of the series, um, you know, the sales were kind of dwindling, and there was a little less money, and um, so we really wanted to tell one more story, and specifically, uh, Adam wanted to tell uh, this this particular story, so. We were able to do it in, I think it was four issues, and I, given maybe a different situation, we, you know, uh, financially or if Aftershock uh, was able to, to make it run a little bit longer, uh, could we have squeezed, we put out another issue, made it five issues? I think that would have been that would have been great. But at that point, um, it, you know, the series had been, uh, you know, the sales had been dropping and the interest had been waning, and so, but. Uh, we all love the project. We wanted to do another story, and I know Adam has said several times uh, that he has one more Rough Rider story in him. That at some point it would be great if we all came back and told that story. Uh, but really, the four issues I think tended to be less story driven. Uh, even though I think Adam was able to tell the story that he wanted to tell, I think we were able to tell a very good, self-contained four-issue story. But I mm-hmm. think. Uh, I think you know the end of you know we got we got three arcs out of that thing. I mean it was uh, uh, you know a, a comic book about you know uh, you know Teddy Roosevelt, Harry Houdini, and Jack Johnson, Thomas Edison, and Andy Oakley. I mean that's not when you when you write that down, you tell somebody about it. That's really not something that they would say yes, that will be a hugely successful <laughs> comic book. But we actually were able to get a following, and we were able to get interest, and we were able to get three arcs out of it. So I'm mean, extraordinarily proud of the work on that. And uh, but I think the some of the final decisions had to do with just the fact that we were kind of coming to the end, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. 
Now, in the last three years since we last spoke, I mean, it's interesting. Yep. Marvel has started uh, finally collecting yours and Tom's Spider-Girl run in these larger right. complete com- collections. What is it like to – I mean, the, a lot of that stuff had been out of print for a long time. You couldn't really yep. find it. And even then, it was originally in, like, you know, those little digests way back when. And you Correct. Know, oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. So finally, in its proper size, it's being, you know, it's being collected in these <laughs> right. in these nice, beefy collections. I mean, what was that like yep. for you to kind of have the book? have a you know a bit of a resurgence that it's being collected people are actually able to read yeah. it and enjoy it even yeah. though it's 20 years old oh it's been great i mean that, i'm very proud of the work that i did on on, the, on that book um i mean it was great working with tom um obviously you know I, we had the jumping off point from you know uh the what if that tom and ron friends did that kind of that, that established the character and then you know we started you know with a with a number one and kind of went off on our own there and uh uh, I'm ex- extraordinarily proud of the work that I did on, on Spider-Girl. It's such a fantastic character. Uh, so it's great to see. I mean, it's just a, it was a great time in my career. Uh, I'm very, like I said, it, it, I'm proud of the work because it established the longest running. My understanding is but then Ron Friends took over after I left. Mm-hmm. So I think it's the longest running female lead character in marvel comics history i believe i mean i think she went on for 12 years and uh, uh, so and there were great stories a lot of fun and the fans were amazing and i think that's one of the things that i remember most about it and i love the fact that it's out there again for people to see and people experience and new fans to uh to jump on board was that uh um, that was always the book that was, you know, <laughs> you know, Tom and I would, uh, you know, get a call from the editor and say, oh, I think we're going to have to cancel it. And then people <laughs> would write in and off we would go again. And, um, you know, that kind of, uh, uh, fan response and fan support, uh, was like nothing I had ever experienced before. I mean, uh, uh they were fantastic. So, uh, it's great to see it come out again. It's great to see people connect with it again and and hopefully new spider girl fans uh you know uh find the find the characters for sure and it's interesting when you say like you've never really seen anything like that in terms of the fan support and i don't think marvel has either like that was the, right. the little book that could you know that it was sure oh no doubt it was no always doubt. on the cancellation bubble you're always reading yep. articles about yep. it and i can only imagine <laughs> how stressful that must have been for you tom and then and then later ron right because i mean you're always yeah. having to yeah. you know the the sword is always hanging above your head you're always hearing oh people like it but right. it's gonna end soon yeah well fortunately yeah i mean it was one of those things where it just um you know we would get the word that you know the sales aren't good and they're gonna and they would always kind of predict its cancellation and then the numbers would come in, and they would never drop. And that was one of the amazing things about that project was that classically, you know, a, a, you would start up a new series, and the new number one, and the sales would go up for the new number one, and then they would start to trail off. Mm. And I don't know if this is accurate or not, but my understanding was that Marvel and probably DC had some kind of metric. But they kind of knew, okay, the first issue numbers are here, everything tails off at a certain pace, and we'll, so we'll get – 12 issues out of it based on this this kind of uh, graph that, that would happen that you would drop in sales and eventually have to cancel and they were always I think they were always kind of baffled by the fact that we had our spike and then we dropped but then we hit a floor we hit it like a level and we never really dropped below that <laughs> we just kept selling those numbers every month because everybody would come you know, the fans would come back every month to buy this thing and I think they would look out into the future using their that metric and say, "Well, okay, well it's here now, yeah, but in three months, four months, you know, you know, it's got to have to drop at some point, and we're we're going to be 
be done at that point. And it never did. So, and that was one of those things that, uh, um, uh, yes, it was stressful. Uh, you know, we would get the call and say, but after a while, I think, I, I'm not going to, I'm going to have to wait and see if this is really accurate. So, uh, but then, of course, uh, you know, eventually it did have to end. But, uh, but yes, yeah, so it was certainly up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but you know, like you said, it was the, the little the little comic that could. So I'm very proud of that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I, when I think about you know, kind of Marvel books that came out of weird places. I mean, launching from a what if is you know not exactly yeah. the most common thing. And I guess Sp- <laughs> right. Spider Gwen is probably one of those other ones where you know right. it was never really supposed to be anything, and then it became something, and now the character's been in a movie, and people know who it is. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. And then the amazing thing too was about the whole. Not only did what if uh, spawned Spider Girl, but it spawned uh, it spawned an entire MC2 universe. I mean, you got a next, and uh, so I mean, it, it really just took on a life of its own. And for a brief period of time, uh, uh, created a world that I don't think readers could find anywhere else. Hmm. Uh, and the type of stories that we told, and the kind of things that uh, that we did in each book. Um, I think we're unique to those books, and I think that uh, uh, we owe a lot to Tom DeFalco for that. Uh, and uh, uh, but yeah, it was just kind of a unique moment in time there, so it worked out well. I guess what really set it apart was that it was a nice positive future. Yes, like yeah. that's it's it's, so. it's sad when that's not common, but I guess usually when people push things into the future, it's about pushing things in weird directions. Whereas it felt like right. Tom just kind of said, "No, it's you know, the life goes on." Yeah. Right, and I think that was, and I think that's exactly right. And I think that kind of tone from the book, uh, from all the books, I think is what where is what kind of grabbed a certain uh, certain group of readers. I think not surprisingly, I think a lot of the readers that found uh, what uh, Kurt and I were doing on Untold Tales of Spider Man to be something very similar, because when Untold Tales of Spider Man came out, that was during the Clone Saga and, and that kind of thing, and so we offered this kind of more classic, traditional, straightforward Spider-Man story that it was difficult to find anywhere else at, the, at that time. Mm. And I think Spider-Girl offered something like that as well, uh, an option for readers uh, to find stories they couldn't find everywhere. So I know Ron has said in, in the past that, you know, when they were doing the MC2 books that, you know, he you know was originally you know going to do Spider-Girl, but he's like, no, no, I want to do this, this A-Next thing. Um, right. How often uh, does it give you a hard time that it's thanks to him that you got to do Spider-Girl for all those years? <laughs> well, yeah, and I used to share a studio space with him, too, so that was fun. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so he, he, you know, it was always... You know, it was funny because there was some of that. You know, because he wanted to do a next because of uh, the thunder, the Thunderstrike character, mm-hmm. uh, and then um, you know when then Anux got canceled and Spider Girl chugged along, he was kind of like, you know, that could have been me kind of thing. But the great thing <laughs> was that he, you know, then I left and he jumped on board and he was actually on the book longer than I was at the, yeah. by, by the end of it. So yeah, so it all worked out well. Um, the last thing I guess I'll ask is. Um, you know, in the last couple of years, obviously before this year when conventions aren't really a thing right now, um, what was yeah. the most unique thing that you got to sign in the last couple of years? Well, let's see. That's Yeah, it goes back quite a ways. Um, I think the most unique thing, I don't have any cool stories where somebody, uh, you know, uh, bringing up some kind of strange artifact or something where they <laughs> open sign, but it was a, uh, I know there's a, the, the, occasional t-shirts or shirts that people are getting jam pieces of you but the most unique the most unique things are always for me um, 
when I'm at a convention and someone will walk up and they'll hand me uh, a copy of Frankenstein, an adaptation I did for Eternity Comics back mm-hmm. in you know 1989, <laughs> uh, or my first comic book. That's one of the first comics I did when I got out of art school, or a copy of The Argonauts, which is another one of my very first comic books I ever did when I right out of art school. So those kinds of things, uh, you know, to be signing, you know, to spend the day signing everything from. You know, uh, Untold Tales of Spider-Man to Spider-Girl to The Atom to Hawkman to, to 52 to, you know, the Four Horsemen, the Superman's, you know, miniseries stuff. And then to see that, you know, kind of tossed down in front of you, a book that you haven't seen in 35 years, uh, <laughs> uh, is always really, it's, it's always really kind of jarring and it's always uh, a mix of, uh, uh, you know, you see your work um differently now um and you look at those early days and you think oof you know there's some uh, i still needed some learning there but uh but it's also very gratifying to see them uh because i they were such fun projects and uh they were just you know little things that helped get my career started so um those are always fun to see when people show up with those kind of um uh, you know issues that I haven't seen in 35 years, and ask me to sign them. And I always ask. I said, I say, do you mind if I flip through this? And I take a few minutes to just kind of walk down memory lane before <laughs> I sign their book. So uh, they're always very generous and very kind about saying, yeah, sure. You know, so like, I mean, I flip must... through those and uh, remember them. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, now, a question: yeah. Like, how often does it happen, or does it ever happen, where someone does put down a book and you're like, did I work on this? <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, that has happened before. Um, I mean, because to a large, I mean, over the course of my career, uh, I've been very fortunate uh, to really stay employed fairly regularly for the past thirty-five years, um, and I've had the fortune to be on books for a period of time. I was on Spider Girl for five years, and Spider and Does of Spider Man ran for like two years, and. Uh, but of course, there are other projects that I had that didn't run quite as long. A mini series here, and fill in here, and then a fill in on Firestorm. And so you get, after a while, you have all these books that sometimes the one fill in issue or the uh, the small project kind of you know drops out of my memory a little bit, and mm-hmm. someone will put something in front of me, and I think, oh my God, did I do that? And then I have to flip through it, and I say, Oh my God, that is me. <laughs> so um, yeah, so that happens on occasion. That happens on occasion. All right, last question is not really a question at all, and you'll understand in a second. Uh, so in, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have Chuck on, and he's going to be talking, yes. obviously, about this book, as Edgeworld, as well. Um, what yes. would be the one question I should ask him to put him in the hot seat for? <laughs> put him in the hot seat? Um, boy, that throws me. Um, and I will blame you. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Um, <laughs> I should ask him... Um, or something you want to know. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> no. Um, uh, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> um, it's funny because the entire interview, about. you're so well poised. You have great answers. You're, <laughs> and I gotcha. <laughs> this is the one. I, exactly. I never imagined this would be something I'd have to think about. Um, I'd have to ask him. Um, I'm going to ask him something about the call. Uh, Ooh, that's good. Yeah, it was. Uh, um, um, oh my gosh! Um, you know, we can, we can leave people in suspense. You can send me your question, <laughs> and they'll <laughs> know gonna, that they have to check out that go, interview to hear the Pat Olive question. There you go. I think we're just going to have to. We may have to leave it there. I'll have to think of a, a good call question. Excellent. Uh, 
yeah, is uh, yeah, searching back through my somewhat adult memory. And uh, uh, but that would be good because that was our first project together. Uh, we never really knew each other uh, before that, so uh, yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to think about that. That's, a, yeah, that, that's like I'll asking someone back. about their first date. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly right. That's exactly right. Unfortunately, here 30, 25 years later, we're still working together, so that's good. Okay, great. Well, again, okay. Pat, thank you so much for uh, for being on the show. And uh, I'm, Adam, I'm always a pleasure. I'm very much enjoying Edgeworld so far. I can't wait for the, uh, the next four issues. And uh, yeah, it's been yeah. fantastic. And maybe we'll have you back on some point to talk, hopefully for the next Edgeworld, right? Yes, that would be great. Yeah, that would be great. We definitely are going to do the first five, and then we're hoping to do another five, the second arc. And uh, yeah, I'd love to talk, talk about it again. Excellent. Thank you so much. All right, Adam. Thank you.